at the federal level, we've been lobbying for changes to reforms to the Federal Freedom of Information Act, which we think are absolutely crucial to make the act work better. As, as we've heard now, it's almost 50 years old, starting to get a little rough around the edges, a little creaky. It's joints ache maybe. And, and you know, it, it's, it's in need of a, a tune-up. And especially because, remember, when the law was passed in 1966, it's a vastly digital age. You mentioned, or vastly different age. You mentioned digital a few minutes ago. There was no digital. Now we really have to make sure and that we have updated the law for the digital age and to take advantage of the digital age. Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital media and the people who are trying to make it work well. On the podcast with me today, I'm joined in the studio with Nicola Grisco, one of our producers. Welcome, Nicole. Glad hey, to have you in. And uh, we've, we're going to be talking about uh, the Freedom of Information Act. It's the uh, 50th anniversary year of FOIA. And uh, we've got two people who uh, are very concerned and who work very hard at making sure that FOIA works for journalists and, well, pretty much the public. Because the, the FOIA is not just uh, for uh, journalists, it's for, for everybody in the country. Joining us today are uh, Rick Bloom, director of the Sunshine of Government Initiative, and uh, Kevin Goldberg, legal counsel for the American Society of News Editors and the Association of Alternative News Media. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Okay. Good to and, be here. Yeah. And, well, Kevin, I, sh I just say as a side... Uh, uh, the Association of Alternative News Media, of course, is our uh, partner group. We we produce this podcast with their help, and you and I had actually met at Tiffany Shackelford's Christmas party a couple of uh, years ago, and eventually I was able to get you onto the podcast. We, we can do a whole podcast about Tiffany Shackelford's holiday uh, we've, had, we've done podcasts <laughs> about uh, Tiffany Shackelford, the uh, director of uh, AAN. And uh, Rick, you were on our podcast a very long time ago, but I'm glad to have you back in because FOIA is, is always a, a topic that needs to be discussed. And in some of the notes that you sent to me before our uh, interview here, you actually said that the 50th anniversary year is actually looking up for FOIA. Can you sort of talk about that? Yeah, that, that might seem a little surprising because when we talk about the Freedom of Information Act and using it as journalists, it's usually, I've got this problem, I had this huge battle with this agency, and I ended up getting very little, or I eventually got something. But actually, I think that FOIA is turning 50, and for some reason, the stars are aligned. There have been some very powerful stories that journalists have written using or broadcast using the Freedom of Information Act. If you look back at the Secret Service problems that we heard from Carol Lennig in the Washington Post, that used the Freedom of Information Act and her sources. The veterans and the benefits that they've been trying to get and waiting for, you know, that's a lot of FOIA-powered investigative work that's gone into that. It's been a really good year for FOIA. I mean, if you look at Flint, Michigan and the, and the water crisis there, you know, we know that EPA was dithering with the state and locals because of FOIA. So FOIA has been a really impressively, you know, vital part of journalism today. And, uh, and journalists are, you know, a small minority of all the FOIA requesters out there. We know that. So it is very much a tool for the public. But yeah. um, And then we can talk about the legislation, which is something I've been working with Kevin and AAN and ASNE and others as part of my role is, you know, in this Sunshine and Government Initiative Coalition. We've been working really hard with folks on the Hill to make uh, FOIA work better and get some stuff written into the law to make it work better. Yeah, and, and actually uh, we had a recent podcast uh, interview with Jason Leopold who had had this uh, great FOIA request that turned into 
uh, some revelatory information about FOIA and uh, the Obama administration's attempts to try to scuttle uh, legislation. Isn't it impressive? It's amazing. Jason actually does some incredible FOIA requests and gets some really, really good good work out of out of FOIA. So it's uh, he's great. He's, so, I'm a fa- big fan. So when it works, it works in really positive ways. In it really does. Good ways. And the stories may be uncomfortable. They may be uncomfortable for the public to hear. They may be uncomfortable for journalists to write, although they, they may like it. And I'm sure they are uncomfortable for the people who are releasing some records. I mean, if you want to, you know, embarrass an administration that supports transparency, look, all administrations say they support transparency. It's a good government tool in our democracy. You can't really oppose transparency in government. But when um, agencies routinely and for decades, I'd say 49 years and nine months have really sort of stalled at really making FOIA work better. You know, I'm not surprised Jason Leopold's found that the Justice Department was really working hard behind the scenes to oppose a lot of the good reforms that are in the legislation. Well, let's let's talk a little bit first about uh, what the organizations that you're associated with have been doing to try to uh, smooth things for FOIA or make things for FOIA better. Kevin, you want to start? And we well, can... <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think I think actually I'll start with something that is non-legislative. And and um, the American Society of News Editors ten years ago, uh, eleven years ago now, actually created something called Sunshine Week, which is an annual celebration of open government around the country that is intended to have media participation, citizen participation, government participation. And when you talk, Rick, about how FOIA's had a very good year. I mean, we had another Sunshine Week from March 13th and 19th this year, and it was it just continues to grow and people get engaged. And that's fantastic. You can you can guarantee that for one week a year, people are focused on FOIA. I wish it was more, but at least for one week a year, even legislators are focused on it. So that I think at its core is another thing we're seeing this year is the sort of renewed appreciation, whether it's the existence of a bill, the 50th year, just general understanding of how important this is. We're seeing a renewed appreciation around the country for, you know, the federal FOIA or state and local government laws. At the federal level, we've been lobbying for changes to reforms to the Federal Freedom of Information Act, which we think are absolutely crucial to make the act work better. As, as we've heard now, it's almost 50 years old, starting to get a little rough around the edges, a little creaky. It's joints ache maybe. And, and you know, it, it's, it's in need of a, a tune-up. And especially because, remember... When the law was passed in 1966, it's a vastly digital age. You mentioned, or vastly different age. You mentioned digital a few minutes ago. There was no digital. Now we really have to make sure and that we have updated the law for the digital age and to take advantage of the digital age. Let's go down that, that way a little bit. What are some of the things that can be done uh, to sort of smooth that, to make that work? Well, well, I think the the one thing that the legislation does, it's in both the House and Senate, and that the House has passed their version, the Senate's passed their version, and they both say, when you look at the Freedom of Information Act, it starts from the presumption of openness, and that's where agencies need to start. So this is actually right in the law, the explicit presumption of openness. That seems ridiculous that you'd have to do that. It's already there because there's exceptions to disclosure that are written into FOIA. But this would say, tell agencies you have to start from the presumption of openness. The other thing it does, it modernizes, it helps agencies modernize their technology. It encourages use of something called a FOIA portal, which is essentially when it works best. It's like a, you know, when you order your Amazon package, you can see where, where it is, when it's going to get to you. And, you know, they'll send you notes saying we put it on your doorstep. Well, you'd love to have that for FOIA. 
but they don't even have those kinds of backend systems that'll let you do that for most agencies. And so this would say, look, create a portal that's robust. And, uh, and yeah. so it kind of pushes agencies to do that. And goes beyond even just sort of being able to track. I mean, it, it's sad that we are in, in 2016 and talking about having a way to track your individualized FOIA through the system. But but the portal would actually do more. It would allow me to request through there. It would al- allow me to look at other searches so maybe I don't have to request. Ideally, it would allow me to interface with the agency on a more regular basis for updates so we're not calling people on the phone, wasting their time, wasting my time. I mean, I can do all this with my doctor, with my with my accountant when I do my taxes. I mean, these are very sensitive materials, medical records, personal financial records. There's no reason the federal government shouldn't be able to do this for, for requesters and make their lives easier. And in fact, we I, I also hit on one thing that I think is very important for the digital age, not using FOIA at all. The concept of proactive disclosure, again, would be enhanced by this FOIA portal. So I could go in and see what else has been released across agencies, and maybe I don't need to make a request. Maybe I just get it. And, and and again, with records in digital format, if they've already been released, then there's no reason for me to go through the process again. And it saves a lot of time and effort for everybody involved and money. From the agency's perspective, you know, I, I'm sure that there are many concerns about, well, we, we don't want to put stuff up if we haven't like looked at it and decided whether it really is something that the public should see. And so does the legislation address any of that, any sort of way to incentivize them to... It actually does address that. The FOIA portal doesn't say you just throw everything yeah. up there. It really still allows for those kinds of careful reviews when you, when it's necessary. Um, it encourages proactive disclosure when there aren't those kinds of redactions that you have to well, do. Or when something's been released or is likely to become a frequently requested record. Yeah, then, you, then, then agencies should disclose it. Put it up. Mm-hmm. Get it out there. Stick it on the web. And make it searchable. But what what the legislation does to to really get at you know these kinds of situations when an agency says, oh, we've got to go talk to this other agency because it's really their documents, and then they never get back to you, or they can't agree, or maybe it's a state department going into an intelligence agency. So what the House bill does, and Jason Chaffetz is the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, worked on a bipartisan basis to to really kind of come up with some really concrete ways to make things work better. In the House bill, they address these consultations. And it says, look, if you can't agree between agencies, you've got to set a deadline for when you're going to get back to requesters. I mean, this, these unending delays just can't go on. You can't just keep telling requesters, oh, we're consulting. We'll get back to you. It says, look, you've got to come up with, the, with some deadlines and meet those. And if you can't come up and, and meet those, you know, we're going to get the FOIA ombudsman involved. You know, they really tried to find some concrete ways that they could address some of these unending delays and this sort of put your, you know, head in the sand attitude from agencies. And I think that's been kind of the, the, the big problem. They had two days of hearings. They heard from requesters. They heard from reporters. They heard Jason Leopold testified and talked about his concrete you know, problems he was having use, using FOIA. And then they heard from agencies, and they got very different perspectives. You know, Chaffetz even told the Justice Department witness that they're living in la-la land if they think that they should be giving themselves five stars for all of their, all of their work. And so I think he's trying really hard to find the ways to make things work better. I know from a journalist perspective, deadlines would be helpful because I know that Mike and I have experienced a situation where we will get a return from a FOIA request from someone that doesn't work here anymore and has left our station two years ago. And then is a conversation in the newsroom. Do you remember what story she was working on? No, I don't know what this is all about. What do all these documents mean? But if there was a way to track it and see, okay, they missed this deadline, they've met this one, it would make our lives a lot easier. We could pick up the story that she 
left off with, even though that person doesn't work here anymore. I, I know that's I've, something I've we've heard, experienced. I've heard from reporters that they switch jobs and they want to take their FOIA requests with them. Their their employer is fine with that, and they can't tell the agency to switch the address. And the, and an agency actually has told reporters, "I'm sorry, you have to file a new FOIA request with your new address." Well, and don't forget the the fun the fun still interested letters. Oh yeah, where you file a FOIA, and about two years later, the agency comes back to you and says, "Oh, we finally got around to this. Are you still interested?" And if you don't tell us now within thirty days, we're just going to assume you're not and dismiss the request. And, and it seems so. You know, it's like we we dragged our feet on this, and now we need your answer now. And if you don't want it, you know, so be it. We're, you're done. I will say that that you've brought up a great point and and a limiting point about the way the Freedom of Information Act is really being used by by journalists. I mean, if you're on deadline, it's not a very good tool for you to use. Really, the journalists that are using Freedom of Information Act their story in their stories, they're doing one of three things. They're they're either a long-form investigative journalist, you know, who has the time to spread a story out over 2 years, the Veterans Affairs, um when Walter Reed Hospital, you know, the problems at Walter Reed Hospital before it closed, things like that that are are really longer stuff that are going to be in the Sunday paper if you're a daily or or, you know, you're working on as a weekly for for weeks or months. Number two, an absolute smoking gun document you have to have and are willing to wait for. Or number three are databases because that is the one area where digital becomes really useful in waiting for FOIAs. You can, you know, you don't have to look through the federal budget now and in stacks of paper. You can get the federal budget online and you can, you know, or in, in digital form and you can you can look at it and, and play around with the numbers yourself. And that I think journalists have found to be that really, really useful in, in recent years. So we, we talked a little bit about the, um, uh, the legislation that's in Congress. What, what's the likelihood of, of this like appearing before the end of the Obama administration and the Obama administration actually signing it? You know, I am actually very hopeful. Boy, it turns 50 on July 4th of this year. So we have about three months, maybe two and a half months now. And we have sent the message, we don't want to wait till the end of the year after the election, when the Congress is wrapping up and a new set of members of the House and Senate come in and all bills have to start over next year, we want to get this done now because journalists are going to be thinking about 50th, the 50th anniversary of FOIA, and they're going to be thinking, what has Congress done? What's been accomplished? This is, you know, the most transparent administration ever that we're, that we're, <laughs> that we're working under. All right, I know. Hold, hold the laughter. But they have worked very hard to try to get agencies to do things, and it's very difficult, I think we've learned, to really have an administration that says we want to be transparent actually make change on FOIA. But on this, I think, you know, you've got the House that's passed a bill. You've got – they're working on a bipartisan basis in the House. They're actually talking to the sponsors in the Senate. The Senate Judiciary Committee – think about the Senate Judiciary Committee in late April 2016. There's a little bit of tension there. They are working – actually on a bipartisan basis on this issue to try to get this across the line and send President Obama a bill that's passed both the House and Senate. Yeah. So I think that's pretty incredible. And the window's still open. Where they're, they're talking. We're having more conversations this week about how to get this done. I think I think it is nothing short of amazing. You talked about Jason Chaffetz and all the work he's done, which is which is fantastic. And I think it's equally amazing to see what's happening in the Senate where Patrick Leahy, Charles Grassley, and John Cornyn have worked together to get a bill, not only through their committee, but through the Senate, where they basically told us this is like the only bipartisan, the only thing that's going to make it through right now in a bipartisan manner on, on unanimous consent. And it, and it did. 
And now we have to sort of resolve the differences between the two bills. Now, you mentioned the administration. I think if this bill gets put on the president's desk, all of the stories you've read about through Jason Leopold's FOIA, um, notwithstanding where, where the administration, though it's unclear what level of the administration had tried to kill this bill, whether it was just the Justice Department who never saw a FOIA bill it ever liked or whether it reached all the way into the White House in some extent. You know, we're not sure about that. I'm certain that a bill put on the president's desk will be signed. You know, again, I, I was laughing earlier at the most transparent administration in history. I mean, this is this doesn't even get them near that just by signing the bill. But I, I, I I'd be shocked politically in terms of a legacy if if President Obama did not sign this bill. I mean, it would it would be catastrophic to his legacy. And, and, and you may say, oh, it's just FOIA. But man, I mean, you, you, you can't. <laughs> Who doesn't sign a FOIA bill? Well, the last one was President Ford in 1974 and his veto was overridden. I mean, you, you're really going down a bad path there. And I just don't see that happening. You know, it would be signed without question in my mind. And we we've been sort of talking, sort of joking about the uh, the Obama administration's claim to be the most most transparent. I think we should probably just sort of just sort of explain our, our humor in that. Is it the um, you know early in the uh, administration, uh, it was an executive order uh, that he had issued that that would require you know telling agencies that they needed to you know release this information, make it available, and it's something that has just just not happened. And there've been other you know. Uh, the the administration has also been criticized in, in many different ways about just its inability to provide any information um, during interview. You know, I, I know of journalists that I've that I've worked with who constantly run up against problems of, of trying just to get people to return phone calls or right. to to set up interviews or talk on the record about anything, and just the fact that now we have this piece of legislation that's supposed to give us stuff if we ask for it you know as well being sort of obstructed in in many ways it just makes our job that much more difficult it does and i i think that we are negotiating with you know a large number of federal agencies and a lot of members of congress who may be concerned about foia or they see they they work in a particular look we run up against proposed pieces of legislation that'll carve out exemptions to disclosure under foia I've dealt with it on space satellites, on the farm bill. I mean, Kevin's worked very hard on high-speed rail proposals. I mean, they come everywhere. to New York quicker. <laughs> so every member of Congress who sits on a committee, and that's all of them, works on a particular issue, and they're approached repeatedly saying, look, we'll play ball, you know, with, from special interests. We'll play ball with an agency or with Congress, but we need a carve-out to FOIA. For our particular thing, it might be proposals for building high-speed rail on the Northeast Corridor or tracking space junk and satellite systems. We're trying to coordinate better that effort, but they try to get a FOIA exemption and they don't need it. You know, FOIA's already got trade secret exemptions. It's already got a national security exemption that's, that's you could fly a drone through it. I mean, is these are this is a very well-balanced law. We're just trying to incrementally make it work better. And back to one one part of your question, I think, where you talked about the administration's position. I mean, yes, they came out on day one in favor of a presumption of disclosure, followed up two, two months later by an attorney general memorandum from Eric Holder, which said we will defend, you know, we will only go to court to defend a FOIA denial if, you know, if there is a foreseeable harm that would result from the disclosure of the information. Contrast that with the standard through the Bush administration, which said that we will go to court to defend a FOIA denial if there is a sound legal basis for doing so which gave a lot more ammunition for an agency to say, 
you know, the, the exemption technically applies, we are going to apply it. Whereas, you know, what we were supposed to be seeing under the Obama administration is the amendment technically applies, but we're not going to apply it. And we're going to release the information because there is no foreseeable harm. There's no there, you know, there's no problem with releasing it. So let's go ahead and release it. And, and I think we all were like really excited about this and it didn't happen. And then, yeah, you combine that with things like prosecution of journalists, you know, or going after journalists to find out who were their sources when when information is leaked and even threaten prosecution of some journalists for having classified information in their possession. And then you look at what what, what I've called, and this could be a, an entirely separate podcast, the PIO issue, which you referred to, where, you know, you call up an agency and you want to talk to the person who is knowledgeable about something. And they're told, I cannot talk to you or at best, I can only talk to you if my, you know, my I, I will just call it a minder. It's someone from the public affairs office, public information office is there. And and you say, well, what what kind of clear answer am I going to get from this? I'm either going to get the political answer or the the guy standing over me. So I'm going to chill it to be political answer. And that and, and I talked earlier about how FOIA is one tool of many. Well, you know, now now you're taking away a second tool under this administration for news gathering. And it, and it has been tough. Now, the, the administration's done some good things in other ways. They're trying to open up data and have been very good about that. They're very technology focused. But, you know, that's that's one good area. There are a couple others that we've seen are bad. And I, I could probably point out a, a couple more. I mean, you know, there's been restriction. Another issue I worked on was restriction of photographer and videographer access to the president's uh, you know, events, some of which may seem minor, you know, a meet and greet with a, with a dignitary or a, or a VIP of some kind. And reporters and photographers aren't allowed in, but later you see pictures coming out of the White House from the official photographer. People may say that's not a big deal, but but it's a sanitized version and we're not getting the full picture. And all this combined together creates problems, which is why we need to get the real version, which is why we need FOIA reform. I think this also goes back to, and I think we all need to tour our own horns in Kevin's work with AAN and ASNE and the, the news media industry has been pushing hard for decades. The news, I mean, even before FOIA in the 50s, after, you know, the whole Red Scare, you know, there's a member of Congress, John Moss, who said, look, we've got to have a more open government and we need to write that into law. And that's what drove, you know, the creation of the Freedom of Information Act in the first place. It was the news industry pushing and using their clout and, you know, and working very hard. And that is true for all of the FOIA reforms. And it's true today, you know. The editorials have to be written, you know, publishers, you know, when they when they see the member of Congress back in the back in the district or back in the state saying, I appreciate you working on this. You know, this is important and pay attention to this. They go they come back to Washington and they ask their staff, what's going on with this FOIA bill? You know, what, what are we doing? And and it helps really push things along. Are, are you surprised that there's a bipartisan support for for this? I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that we are still in approaching the summer of 2016, still talking about the FOIA legislation. I thought either they would have thrown their hands up and said, it's an election year. We can't do it. It's just too sensitive. Or we would have had it written in law. Now we'd be talking about how do you how do you make sure it works as, as well as it's supposed to. I'm not surprised by bipartisan support either. And I'm equally surprised for another factor, another reason that that the bill hasn't actually moved forward is you have the perfect sto- perfect political storm to get it done. You have 
one party in charge of the executive branch, one party that's controlling Congress, the opposite party that's controlling Congress. That's usually a reason, a, a really good reason for Congress to want to pass stronger FOIA to oversee the executive. And so we really are hoping this gets done. Does something like the, the Hillary Clinton email story, does that drive this in any way? I think it complicates it. Mm-hmm. I think it comp- because it drives it in good it, and bad ways. It's very good. It highlights the problem. Right. Every public official should be on notice if you're going to use email to communicate, which we all do, make sure it's part of the official record. You know, as best we can tell, the lawyers tell us that Hillary Clinton didn't violate laws at the time because she could use her private email as long as she sent it records to the government. They've changed that now. But everybody should be on notice. And we know it's widespread. You either use an alias because you want to see the email traffic and without you know, if you're the head of an agency, you use an alias because you want to see sort of real time what your staff's talking about and, and get it in an unfiltered way. And, you know, nobody's trying to lobby you when they see that they're sending an email to who was it? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Yeah. I mean, you know, Eric Holder's Eric Holder's alias. alias. Yeah. Um, but we've seen this happen in other ways. Everybody should be on notice. Don't do that. The Hillary Clinton situation, you know, for people who really do follow FOIA, especially at the state and local go- level, that is something that's not new at all. And I think this is why, in another respect, federal FOIA reform is important because you see state and local governments mimic what what they see the federal government do a lot. And one of the areas, actually, I will say that the state and local governments were ahead of the curve, I guess, was that governors and mayors and and, and here in D.C., the city council, you know, they, they were all, a lot of them were using non-official email addresses to transact public business. And that's very common and something that people, again, the media fights back on this all the time. I can remember out in, in Colorado, the Denver Post fought it when the, the governor wanted to keep his official calendar or his unofficial calendar, I'm sorry, out of public view, even though it had a lot of public meetings listed on it. I'm president of the D.C. Open Government Coalition, which is a local organization, and we sued the council for the use of um, unofficial emails to transact public business and, and won. And we got them to agree that we will not do this anymore, that, we, you know, if we use unofficial emails, it will, we will make sure it becomes part of the public record. So it's, it's a very important issue. And it's important that, that this is highlighted. But again, it also distracts from the conversation when you're trying to go and talk about serious FOIA reform and all you have is a highly partisan now, highly politicized discussion about Hillary Clinton's email service that distracts. It's too easy for her supporters to dismiss it as a, a political attack yeah. when there might actually be a, a legitimate issue that needs to be worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that is really an important role for the news media to go in and have on the business side, not not in the newsroom, we want journalists to be able to do their work, but have the industry be able to go explain why it's an issue for reporters, why you need to get to the emails, why it's important that public officials keep them, and that why why there are retention schedules. You know, the government's got to keep stuff so that we can all see what was going on. Whether it's 25 years or whatever, you know, the public should be able to see this stuff at the end of the day. Uh, but, it, but it does complicate it because you're trying to talk about sort of into the weeds, fixes to concrete problems that we're all seeing. And when you get into this discussion and then, you know, other candidates, presidential candidates say, well, we, the public doesn't care about the damn emails. You know, it's true because there are a lot of big issues that are need to be discussed in a campaign. At the same time, we're not going to have an open, transparent government. We're not going to know. We're not going to be able to hold the EPA accountable for dealing with Flint or not dealing with Flint if we don't fix these kinds of issues. Okay, I'm going to give you a magic pen. 
You Great. Have a, you have a magic pen. It has it does not have any congressional input. It has nothing to do with the president or anything. Here's your magic pen. Go in there and, and mark up a FOIA. What what needs to be? What fixes do you put in? The first thing I think my answer. We'd have to discuss it as a coalition <laughs> and come up with the right answer because that's the way we work. And Kevin's been a part of many of those conversations. But the, I think for me, it is separating out the person in government who has an interest in the email, the document and the success or not success of what they're trying to do from the person who's deciding whether the public gets to see that. And you have an inherent conflict of interest. If I'm running a program and all of a sudden Kevin sends me a FOIA request and you know, there may be some stuff in there that might be uncomfortable for me. I may not be able to sell my project to my superior and get the funding next year. If it, if you know, when I'm doing kind of looks not Totally talking about the DHS problem. I'm talking about DHS state. You can. There's a hundred agencies. Well, I mean, I can list them all. It's, Except they got caught. DHS got caught. <laughs> DHS got caught. But that's that's the big thing. Is you want to make it objective and fair. Ten years ago, Congress created this FOIA Ombudsman's Office. It sits at the National Archives, try as far away from politics as possible. At least that's what we had hoped. But even that effort. Even their voice is not as independent as Congress wanted. And that's why in the legislation, there's a part saying nobody else can give input on their congressional testimony, their reports. And right now they're getting just squashed. We're still hopeful that they can work out their their turf battles. But you, you just need an independent eye. So a reporter can say, am I getting jerked around here? And someone could say, no, they, they're really right. They can withhold that and they should. It's under the law. Or their agency's wrong. They should release this. That's the one thing I would do. Do you have anything else? I love this. Actually, I do. I love this question. I don't think you previewed it for us. So it took me a second. I'm glad Rick went through that because, uh, first because I'm able to come up with it. I want the same magic pen I want in real life. I want the one that changes the numbers in my bank account. Oh. I yeah. think that I think well, that it, it yeah, prints I didn't more say money. anything about banks. I said, no, yeah. no, no, no. What, I want, what I want is more money allocated to FOIA. Because here's the the real problem. We can talk all day about things like, well, portals would be covered by this. We can talk all day about things like policy, like holding people accountable. A great thing for FOIA would be to to make FOIA compliance part of every employee's in the federal government's performance review and, and advancement because that will that will make them really dedicated to FOIA. We can talk about individual things like the B5 exemption for deliberative process where right now records pertaining to the Bay of Pigs are being withheld, you know, Bay of Pigs invasion are being withheld almost, you know, more than 50 years later. But what FOIA really needs is more resources. We need to put the money into it to add technology, add people to the processing, which will decrease the backlogs, get things flowing through the system more quickly. We, we've had more FOIA requests every year. And, you know, it's almost seven, what, 700,000 about every year. And, and the system just, it's overburdened and it can't keep up. So it needs more resources. That's it. So as, as we sort of go towards wrapping up this, I want to I want to talk about some, you know, marching orders for for journalists. What's what should journalists be doing? First of all, what what should journalists be most concerned about? I'll address what journalists should be doing first. Okay. What they should be doing first is talking to their editors and talking to their publishers and making sure they highlight how FOIA is useful to them. You know, be your I don't want to say be your own advocate, but at least mention FOIA in the story. If you need a sidebar, if you need to use Twitter, there's a couple of reporters who talk about their FOIA failures all the time. We find that. We collect it. We go to the Hill and say, look, here's some real life examples of some real life problems. And here's what you can do to fix it. And then they take that and they might write a letter to an agency. 
They might get someone to jump on it or they might include it in legislation. We've got to be our own, you know, advocates. We've been trying in this coalition to do that. AAN, you know, they were integral to, to the starting up this effort by the industry to work together, to be our own advocates, to speak with a united voice, to make FOIA work better and do other things. But so in terms of what journals should be most concerned about, I think it really is FOIA's limits. You know, you've got to push. You have to start by thinking, how can I get this without FOIA? You know, whatever ways, be creative, use your sources, you know, find it some other way. There's always going to be pushback. There always will be. We need to demonstrate from the outside government how new tools, new technology can help everybody and help the FOIA process work better. That's why IFOIA, the FOIA machine, Muckrock, all of these sites that are really showing how we can make the FOIA process more accountable and more open so we can see who's delaying, who's not. That's going to be, hopefully, we can get agencies to start adopting some of that so that senior managers can say, look, we're falling behind on our FOIA requests. Let's put some more people on this problem and make it easier for them to make it work better. I will say, yeah, I'll agree. Be your own advocate. I mean, you know, from from the editorial level, I really would love to see editorials and op-eds being written that extol the virtues of FOIA and, and hold try to hold people accountable at the state and local level as well as the federal level. I think reporters do have to be smart about the way they use FOIA. I mean, they you can always often be your own worst enemy by filing overly burdensome or even sometimes, you know, over frequent FOIA requests. Be a little more selective about what you need and how you frame it. You know, one of the things I've learned in the last few years, both as someone who advises people filing FOIA requests and someone who's filed my own is is less is sometimes more. Specific is sometimes much better than phishing, or well, almost always better than phishing. And 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 don't you know? A little tip or trick would be don't let don't give the agency a reason to deny your request. Anything to hang their their hat on to say, ah, well that 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 gives us a reason to say no. So I think that is, um, you know, on both ends, both as a policy side, not you know being broad on the policy side and and, and advocating and being somewhat narrow and and focused on the actual requesting side would be really useful. So what do you do if you've been denied and you feel that uh, you're you're being told a story here that, that maybe <sighs> that it's not a legitimate denial? Well, well you can <laughs> go the ahead. First step, <laughs> the first step is you have to, uh, to have to appeal. And uh, although you can go to the you can go to the Office of Government Information Services, OGIS, or sometimes referred to as the Ombudsman's Office, and you can seek their help. We found that they've been much better in just simply getting agencies to come to the table than actually getting agencies to change substantive positions. But of course, sometimes getting the agency to just talk to you is the hardest part. Um, so those are two options right off the bat. And you're probably going to lose your appeal. So you have to decide whether to go to court. And as we saw this week, that is happening less and less. The American Society of News Editors a number of organizations. I, I only remember my own clients, so sorry to, to the others. But you know, there was a report released, and 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 there's a good article about it. I do know this in CJR Columbia Journalism Review. You know, where they surveyed 66 editors around the country, and basically, you know, less than half, you know, less than half of them said they were really willing to go to court to fight to fight for FOIA records. Right now, they're very good at defending themselves when they need to, but but the resources just are not there to push the envelope, and and that's. Another reason we need this bill. You don't push the envelope. The agency gets away with it. The agency gets emboldened to, you know, take a stronger stand or a more frequent stand in denying records the next time. And you still don't push back. And then you've got nothing. And I think, you know, that's why this FOIA bill will help. And that's why you really got, I do think you have to pick your spots, but I I think we really need to be vocal at all levels now, including hopefully finding the money to go to court um, more often. Can I I just jump in? I've got uh, two things I got to just, 
I've got a plug here. One is when you're finding FOIA delays and problems, tweet about them. Use the hashtag FixFOIA by 50. It's something that Excellent we started question. so that we can find these problems, so that we can actually make sure that Congress is paying attention. And 50 refers to the 50th year of FOIA, not 2050. No, that's right. That's right. That's right. We, <laughs> oh, we, got we want it done 50th birthday of FOIA in, on about, July 4, in about 50 days. That's when we want this done. We also started a Tumblr page where every time we see a story that used FOIA, and we focus on federal FOIA, not you know state and local, it's just, just a, a huge area. We throw it on our Tumblr, and there's a lot of really good stories out there. My favorite example of how effective you can be um, with this is that several years ago, some a reporter was digging through Harrier crash. These are Harrier jets. They were having lots of you know malfunctions, and he found there was that in in all the records he obtained through FOIA that there was a video that the mother of the pilot, the pilot who was killed, was taking, and she actually videotaped the crash that killed her son. Wow! And he was able to track her down, and she was very willing to talk about her experience and show him the video. You know, that really framed this sort of database-driven digital analysis of these jet crashes and the problems that they were having with the jets. And that made it, that stuck it on the front page. I mean, that's what really caught the attention. And that one was good. The right. other one the other one I like, the runner-up for my Hall of Fame, is the the FOIA request that found the ballistics test. That's the one I was going to, the body armor, I was going to, oh yeah. Body armor that's being sent to the blowing. troops in active combat and they had failed their ballistics test. The armored vests were not effective. And so the reporter calls up the guy who's sending these things to the troops and he says, we're going to run a story showing the government's own ballistics tests, you know, that, that these armored vests are failing. They're not stopping They're the bullets. They're not stopping bullets. Yeah. And the guy wouldn't respond. He hung up and the next day he recalled all the vests. Wow. Yeah. It's, so, it's, you know, this stuff is important. It's important to do. You got to write these stories. When it works, it works. Yeah. So just to review, uh, use FOIA. Tell people you're using FOIA and, and, and about your FOIA successes. Push back when you can and share your experience. Yes. Because the other thing we haven't really talked about, we've been talking mostly about journalists, but the idea is making this like open and, and so that the wider public sees what we're doing and, and see, sees the value and the importance of FOIA. And they do when you, when you talk about it, I mean, Flint, people see the problems in Flint and that's a FOIA powered story. So yes, it's, it is real. We just have to explain it. Okay. Well, I think that's uh that's a good place for us to wrap up. So thank you both for coming in. Uh, what, what's uh, what, what is it you're going to be working on in the next few months? Just, just keeping up the same sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, as as we said, July fourth, two thousand sixteen is is the fiftieth birthday of FOIA, the fiftieth anniversary of the signing of FOIA, which, by the way, was was not necessarily intentional. It was more coincidental. Um, talk about how the, the resistance of government to enacting these laws, changing these laws. Lyndon Johnson waited till the absolute last day he could to sign the bill, and it just happened to be July fourth. A happy accident, I think, to many people, but but he didn't want it, and most you know most executive branch officials and presidents don't love the bill or don't love the law. So, so they're not going to love the bill. So I think that is a target date. And that's what we're really trying to do. We are trying to figure out how to get these differences resolved between the Senate bill that did pass that the house bill that did pass, try to figure out the best way to get this on the president's desk by July 4th. And that's, that's the effort of the sunshine and government initiative. And it's nine uh, member organizations. That's the one singular focus over the next two months. Cool. 
All right. Well, thank you for coming in. This has been this has been great. Thanks a lot. Um, it's been great. Thank Thanks. you for, for for fighting for us and our, and our law. This is a great pleasure. Next time on It's All Journalism. Next week is our 200th episode. We've got some special in-studio guests as well as a great interview I did with photojournalist Paul Watson and playwright Dan O'Brien. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Google Play. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week for our 200th episode.